Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast for the issue dated November the 25th to December the 1st. I'm Richard Lane. Our main focus this week concerns teenage pregnancies in England. But before that, some other highlights from this week's issue. Our lead editorial discusses the long overdue report from the World Health Organization about the health of Africa. Another editorial states how Libya must free the six health workers wrongly accused of infecting children with HIV. A research article highlights how, every year, 5 million women from developing countries are admitted to hospital after an unsafe abortion. And important findings from a randomised trial show how the drug Ancrod, which is derived from snake venom, should not be used to treat ischemic stroke more than three hours after the onset of symptoms. The UK has one of the highest teenage pregnancy rates in Western Europe. In 1999, the UK government launched a strategy to halve the teenage pregnancy rate by the end of this decade. A research article in this week's issue assesses the effect of this strategy by comparing teenage pregnancy rates before and after the implementation of this strategy. Earlier, I spoke to Professor Kay Wellings from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, one of the study authors. I began by asking her why the UK has such a poor record when it comes to teenage pregnancies. I think it's probably a result of a number of different factors. We were doing quite well during the 1970s and we were in line really with other European countries, all of which saw a decline in teenage pregnancy in the 1970s with better services and so on. But that decline, although it continued in European countries, other European countries, it it didn't decline here. So we've remained relatively static. Teenage pregnancy is, is very closely related to deprivation levels. And it is the case that England and indeed other parts of the UK have a big gap between rich and poor, a bigger gap than in other European countries. And this emerges in other health issues too. So is this more a reflection of, if you like, the society and the cultural issues specific to Britain rather than specifically to do with sexual health then? I think it's partly sexual health because I do think we have difficulties in this country addressing sexual health issues and we have a very sort of schizoid approach to sexuality generally. We tend to titillate and um, sensationalise sex but we have difficulty talking about it honestly and in a down-to-earth way. Whereas some other European countries, it has to be said, don't have that difficulty. I'm thinking of countries like the Netherlands. But certainly I think there's a, a big socio-economic element as well. Moving on to the government strategy, can you just briefly outline what that is aiming to achieve? It's a two-pronged strategy and it aims to halve conceptions among under-18-year-olds by 2010, um, but also to reduce levels of social exclusion and deprivation amongst teenage parents and their children. And this two-pronged approach was a deliberate effort on, on the part of the government to try to break the cycle of deprivation, because although deprivation leads to early parenthood, early parenthood in turn, leads to an extra increment, if you like, of poverty and uh, deprivation. So the aims are clear, but how do you actually go about implementing this strategy? Well, the government set up a system, a network really, of workers, local teenage pregnancy coordinators in the 149, what used to be local authorities in this country, to manage the strategy. And their job was to ensure that in that local area, sex education was improved, contraceptive services were improved 
And in addition, there was a national mass media campaign to get messages across to young people, but also a major feature, an important and unique part of this strategy, was the joint action across agencies and sectors to ensure that the broader social determinants, uh, such as education and poverty, were addressed. To me, that's very interesting. How do you actually calculate the changes in rates of conceptions, births and abortions you know, across, obviously, many, many different local authorities? Was the data reliable enough coming out of the local authority to enable you to do that? We do have excellent records in this country, in common with many northern European countries. Um, there's compulsory registration of abortions and births. So the data are reliable, I think, far more so than in the days when a child born to a young woman might be taken into the family as the child of the, the mother of that young woman or the grandmother. But now that the stigma is, is partly removed from early parenthood, the figures are less hidden from view. But the problem with figures at local level is that they can jump around from year to year. So what we did was to take an average over the five-year period before the strategy and compare it with an average for the five-year period after the strategy in relation to births, abortions and the conception rate generally. And why did you choose expenditure as the key indicator to evaluate the success or not implementation of the strategy? What we wanted to avoid was looking at just one factor um, because we know it's, just, it's not just one element of the intervention that makes a difference, but a broad portfolio of investment. And really expenditure was the best sort of generic measure covering everything that went on in a particular area. It represents the overall investment in this issue. What were the key findings from the study? Ideally, with a, um, a big strategy like this, you'd want to carry out a controlled experiment and look at places that have the strategy and other areas that don't and compare the two. But of course, it had a mass media national campaign, so everyone in the country received this strategy at the, first, at the same time. So we had to manage it slightly differently. Um, we looked over time at the change in the conception rate and we looked at that in particular with regard to the start of the strategy. We also compared regions, and as you've, as you've pointed out, we compared investment in regions to see if that made a difference. And thirdly, we compared rates in different European countries to see whether we were doing better than our European neighbours. And how are we doing? We're doing very well, actually, by comparison. Although we're not seeing the massive um, uh, rates of improvement that the government had as their key target, and it has to be said that key targets are often to galvanize efforts rather than to, to be achieved when they're of this magnitude. But in other European countries, not only are teenage pregnancy rates not going down, but in some countries they're going up. And in particular, they're going up in countries such as the Netherlands, which have previously had a very good record. So if there are signs that our rates are decreasing, what, in what kind of magnitude are they decreasing? Our rates are showing uh, over this period, uh, they're showing just over 10% decrease. The most recent figures for 204 show an 11% decrease in under 18-year-old conceptions since the start of the strategy and um, a 15% decrease in uh, under 16. So it's, it's modest, but it's respectable. And how sure are we that these changes that we're seeing, these welcome declines, they say that are modest, but, but clearly desirable, are actually directly attributable 
to the implementation of the strategy? Could there be other reasons to explain these changes? There could be other reasons to explain the changes. Without doing a randomised controlled trial, you've always got this problem, and a randomised controlled trial wasn't possible in this strategy. We know that figures go up and down with things like pill scares, and certainly the conception rate for the teenagers went up just before the strategy and has come down. Now, the fact that it's been sustained over time, the fact that we have got this difference between regions, apparently reflecting the amount of investment, and the fact that our trends in this country are bucking those in other European countries, I think gives us reasonable confidence to believe that the strategy is making a difference. And of course, this is very, very early days. When we concluded the evaluation, there were still six years to go, and we really need to look again in 2010. So, Professor Wellings, what conclusions can we draw at this stage? I think we have grounds for optimism. We can be reasonably confident that the strategy is making a difference and has made a difference. But we must be absolutely clear that the root causes of teenage pregnancy are not just individual behavioural, but they're socioeconomic. These are the underlying causes, and those factors take considerably longer to address. And I think we need to give the government a really good chance of... Uh, seeing this strategy through and really seeing it uh, to fruition. Ideally, we need to come back in 2010 and uh, check and see how much has been achieved in this time. That would give the government a really good chance of showing what they have achieved. Professor Wellings, thanks very much for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much. Alongside this article, we publish a comment from the US Centers of Disease Control and Prevention by Christine Galavotti and Diane Green. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. See you next week.